Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. I often find myself wondering, whose responsibility is it to teach kids about money? Is it schools? Is it at home? Where does that responsibility lie? Now, ultimately, I don't know what the answer is to that. I think it's probably a combination of both. But I was really excited to chat with today's guest because he teaches parents and helps parents start to talk about money with their kids in a more appropriate way. And I think it's a really cool business model. I think it's something I don't see nearly enough of in the financial world. And so it was really fun to get to pick his brain and learn a little bit more about how do we actually teach kids about money. Now, before we dive into our guest today, I have to share with you a really killer money win. This money win comes from Tess. Tess says, officially credit card debt-free as of last month. Two years of horrible spending habits as newlyweds, and we just paid off close to $30,000 in 10 months. Hard work, but so worth it. Hashtag money win. Tess, I am so proud of you and your husband for doing this. I watched your journey, and it's really cool to see. So congratulations to you both on your money win. That is incredible. Guys, if you want to share your money wins with me, I would love to hear all the cool things that you're up to. I know you have some amazing ones. Maybe you saved some money on groceries, or maybe you paid off your credit card debt or even your car. Whatever the case is, share your money wins with me. The best place to do that is in the private Facebook group. It's called Manage Your Money Like a Boss, and I would love to see you in there. I do hang out in there from time to time, but more than anything, the community is so good. You're going to love it. There's a ton of really cool people in there, and we're all very supportive of each other and the differences in our financial journeys. It's a really good group. So manage your money like a boss, go join. All right, let's dive into a little bit of today's guest. Cody is a serial entrepreneur who started to learn finance at 19 years old and was a millionaire by 27, but bankrupt at 28. And then he figured it out and retired early at 39 to pursue a passion of teaching financial literacy, successful mindset, and entrepreneurship to students when our schools don't really teach this kind of stuff. Cody's companies have reached over $200 million plus in sales while reaching the Inc. 5000 list of the fastest growing companies twice. Between opening 13 different companies and counting, he has also served as the VP of a commercial bank and financed over $100 million in loans. Cody helps parents deepen their relationship with their children while giving them information that they really need to become financially free. In this episode, we really dive into Cody's journey to becoming a millionaire by 27 and then bankrupt at 28. 
great. If you have heard, I mean, even just in that little timeline, you probably have an idea that it did have to do with real estate. So we talk about how that 2008 real estate crash really provided that wake up call for Cody. What successful and unsuccessful businesses do differently? Talking about money and entrepreneurship with kids Removing that negativity around failure. I loved his conversation around that because I think it's such a critical piece for kids, for ourselves, for everybody around us is to remove that negativity. Like failure is not necessarily a bad thing. And then lastly, we start to talk a little bit about how luck plays into business. It's a really great conversation. I know I definitely was taking notes and learning a ton. Cody Laughlin has such a killer track record for business that it was really fun to just pick his brain and learn some of the differences between successful and unsuccessful businesses. All right, guys, I know you're going to love this episode. So let's go ahead and dive into this conversation with Cody Laughlin. Wait, before we do that, do me the biggest favor and leave a five-star review if you love this podcast. It means the world to me. It helps it get in front of more people. And honestly, it helps me see what content is really resonating with you. So leave your takeaways in the comments and leave a five-star review. It means the world to me. All right, now back to the show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode today. I am joined by a Boise local, Cody Laughlin. Thank you so much for hanging out, Cody. <laughs> hey, well, I'm glad to be here, Winnie. I'm glad to uh, be part of your audience. I love the Money Nerds uh, podcast, so I'm excited to be on it. Oh, I'm stoked to chat with you. So I want to dive into your background. You've got such an interesting background and journey that you've taken to get to where you are today. Talk to me about when you made your million dollar mark by 27 years old. How did that feel and what were you doing? So basically this is what happened. So I went to school to be a marine biologist. I took a finance class. It was the first time I've ever been exposed to anything in the financial world. And uh, I learned about compound interest, blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I immediately went to go find out what, you know, what the difference is and like what people make doing finance and what people make doing marine biology. And so I switched my major and I became, I dove into finance, right? And so uh, I came out of school in 03 and it was basically a really, really good time to do mortgages. Um, and real estate. And so I moved down to South Florida and I was, um, I became a mortgage broker, uh, within six months, I opened up my own mortgage brokerage and, uh, and then three years later we had hit the million dollar mark on commissions, uh, through the company had 28 employees. Not anybody was over 30 years old. It was just a really fun time. Uh, my wife, I got married and uh, things were rolling along amazingly. So I opened up a real estate company to support the mortgage company. Then I opened up a construction company because we were uh, remodeling houses and building. And then we opened up a foreclosure website because I used to go to all these meetings where people talk about investing in real estate. And I found out that mm-hmm. the hardest thing to do is actually find a, a property to buy because you're 97% more likely just to buy another course. And so I built a website and so things were amazing. So at 27, I had a condo on the beach, had a couple rental properties, you know, Cadillac in the driveway and, uh, and, and I lived on the beach and it was, uh, things were amazing. I thought I was basically God's gift to business. Totally right. Like, this is so easy. Like, why aren't people doing better? You know? And I'm like, this is amazing. Like, look how good I am at this. And, uh, and then like, I was like, but I was the stereotypical, like, uh, didn't file my taxes. Like I'll figure it out later, like manage my business off of a bank account. Like what's in the bank? Like, Oh, there's 20 grand there. Like, let's just take a dividend or whatever. We didn't know what it called it. We were just like, let's just get a check. (laughs) You know, like, what do you need? You know? And I'm like, uh, and financed everything and, uh, and, and spent everything. And basically, um, you know, I, I owned a, 
million dollar business. I owned, you know, I was I was a millionaire at 27 years old. It's a weird yeah. thing to say. I didn't, it wasn't like I was like, there was a check mark where somebody showed up and I'm like, hey, good job. You're a millionaire. I was like, I didn't. Here's your trophy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't get my two comma club award. I know that. Dang it. <laughs> right? Next time. <laughs> yeah. I tried to apply by, you know, 10 years ago, but, um, so, uh, and then, uh, the market crash happened. You know, I was in the epicenter of the market crash as well. And within about six months, everything just stopped, you know, Um, we're kind of going through that right now with this, with this part, with the coronavirus, like it's really scary because like it was almost the same thing. Like I had humongous deals. Like I I had a deal that was going to pull in like over $2 million to me and I had it at the closing table and, uh, Bear Stearns went under and they just didn't lend the loan. And then the deal never happened. And it basically like crushed me. Oh my gosh, that's so scary too. Cause it's like, I'm, I'm sure you were depending on that income. Like you really needed that deal to go through. Oh, if that deal went through, I was set for like years. Like, I mean, and I mean, that was like, literally there was a, it was a two and a half million dollar, like commissionable, like two to three year program. Basically I was converting an 18 story building into commercial condos. Mm. And so I was doing the $18 million loan. And then I was also, I had pre lent, I'd, I'd pre-qualified all the tenants. And they were all like 90% of the building ready to go to refinance and not to buy that, to buy their condos. And I'd already pre I'd already lined up all the lending and everything else. So I mean, it was basically like a done deal. And that was kind of one of the reasons in the back of my head, I was like, well, I don't really have to worry about filing my taxes or I know I owe the IRS some money and, uh, but I have mm-hmm. next, I have this next dollar that's going to pay for it, you know? And, uh, and I, and I built, uh, um, a paper kingdom, you know? I, and, I love that. Yeah, I found out what happened uh, when you build a paper kingdom in the, in the in, you know, in the in the water, and then, and, then, and then what they say when the, when the tide comes back, you see who's swimming naked. Like, no, it's so true. You know, and I was like, oh, so when the music stopped, lost all four companies, went to foreclosure, got smacked with with I, I had eight tax returns to file and uh, no money, lived on credit cards. Then they started calling because I wasn't paying them either. I had no job. I was toxic. Um, because I was in the mortgage industry, I was toxic to, to apply for loans or for apply for, for jobs. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it was it was rough. <laughs> I got to yeah. talk to you about the emotional side of that, because I think that's the piece that is so difficult to to let I me mean, rationally. It's like, OK, here's what's going on. I can logistically work through this. But emotionally, what were you doing to to work through that? How did that journey go for you? Oh yeah. So now I can be like, oh yeah. So this is what happened, right? right, right. <laughs> At the time, it was like it was like catching falling knives. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, like it was just when it rains, it pours type of deal, you know. And so it was like this slow motion, just like train wreck happening. And uh, and so emotionally, I mean, it was really, really a wake up call. People, when I when I got on the other side of it, and people asked me like, well, what would you have done different? And honestly, like I needed it. I needed that wake up call bad because I don't know where I would have ended up if I hadn't had it because I needed to have some humbling in my life because I went from like straight from like college, like, and then all of a sudden just had this huge success and like, I wasn't financially good at all. You know what I mean? I was blowing money left and right. And then I was just like, and I was like thinking I was making all these great investments and like how personal finance works. But, um, you know, emotionally, like, there was a moment where uh, yesterday was my 13th anniversary with my wife. And so she's been on the roller coaster the whole time. <laughs> but there was a moment where like we were sitting, we were talking about it last night because we were like, we were sitting on our porch and it's going to sound you know kind of crazy, but we were sitting on the eighth floor looking at the ocean from our condo that was in foreclosure with no money, like just 
like no prospects and just like sitting there and like looking at each other. And there was a moment where we had to be like, all right, you know what? Like it's over. What are we going to do about it? You know, like it was time to just, it, it was, it was, you had to just let it go because it was already happening, you know? And so, but we both have that as like a turning point that we both remember vivid, very vividly because we were just kind of sitting out there and we just decided, you were like, you know what? Let's just smile about this. What difference does it make? You know, yeah. like we can sit out here and just like cry our eyes out or we can smile about it and say, what are we going to do about it? And that's, um, that was very, very, uh, instrumental in my mentality going forward. And, and that's the part that I said, like, I really needed this to happen because it changed the way that I saw the world. I believe it. I think it's a, I mean, you've definitely gone through quite the journey there. And I think there's so much that we can learn from that. So when you went through 2008 market crash and it was a really scary time and now compared to, you know, 2020, it does look like we're going through another type of crash for sure. What did you do with your finances? Like how is this crash different than 2008 for you? Oh, so this one is 1000% different for me because what happened was for me is when I, I, I ended up, I, I pushed so hard to get a new, to get, to get a job that I wanted. And I wanted to be a commercial banker. I wasn't qualified for it. They didn't want me there. And there's a story about like how I just wouldn't let them say no um, to interview me. It's like, it was, it was, you know, uh, but I had set out a goal. I'm like, look, I know how to make money. I do not know how to run a business. So I want to go be a banker with businesses so I can learn from people. Right. So I was very strategic and, and I was able to walk into these businesses. And what happened was I wasn't the only business failing. I was just ahead of them because I was in the wrong industry, but I had, you know, several hundred clients when I got the job in the bank and, I had to walk in and have some really bad conversations with them um, about their loans and their lending and that kind of stuff. And then, you know, about a year later, I had 75 of those companies left that were in my portfolio out of like 300. Um, and and what I found a lot of it was there was very consistencies. There was a lot of consistencies in the uh, structure of the company and the structure of the owner mm-hmm. that were very telling for me. It was very obvious. So I usually knew within like five to 10 minutes of walking into a business how the conversation was going to go. And it wasn't because it was like shambles or, you know, they were in the right industry. Like I had doctor's offices that went under, I had, you know, painters that were doing fantastic, you know? And mm. so I had a people ask me all the time because in 09, 10, 10 and 11, it was still pretty scary, but people were starting to see the bright side of things. And so they'd ask me all the time, like, what kind of business should I go into? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. I'm like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, it doesn't matter what kind of business you go into. What you should do is learn how to be a business owner. And they're like, oh, well, that's easy for you. You're a banker. I'm like, I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <You know>? no doubt. <laughs> like, here's like, my track record, man. Yeah, Come on. <laughs> like, yeah, I'd walk into these businesses and people would be like, oh, you don't know what it's like. You get your paycheck every Friday. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm no. like, are you, you know, were you $700,000 in debt with no job? Okay. Then talk to me then. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. What so, were, what uh, were some of the successful businesses versus un? That, I'm super intrigued with yeah. this. Yeah. So, um, most businesses, work on the PL, right? And so they think like, what's that top line? What's that profit number? What's my revenue number? Right. And and it's very, you know, you get into that trap. Like I gotta drive revenue, gotta drive revenue, gotta drive revenue. And it is important. It's a very good important factor. But where the successful businesses really focus is in the balance sheet. And what I mean by that is that you have to manage cash. You have to have a safety net. One thing I didn't do as a business owner is I didn't give myself a salary. 
to make my life work and then let the bill, the company uh, establish any cash. It was like, well, what do we make this week? Like, okay, let's just take it out. You know what I mean? We'll make more next week type of deal. And like, do we have enough money for rent next month? It's like, yeah, okay, great. So we got so-and-so's deal closing and we'll just pay rent out of that, you know? And we never really worked on setting a structure into the ownership. So had we taken and said, okay, well, we need to make $5,000 a month each for me and my partner. And so we need, and it will take that as salary and, and then we'll either do quarterly bonuses or, you know, we'll let the company keep cash in it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, the, and so when that comes very important is when the tide comes back, right? So what I saw from these business owners is they had had a really sound financial, um, ground that they were already starting from. And so as the, as the crash happened, people were making decisions out of necessity. And when you do that, you very usually make much poorer decisions and that's in personal life and in business. And in the P and L side of it, you're looking at profit and loss. Well, how much money do we make? And that's kind of like, um, it's, it's important. Don't get me wrong, but on the balance side stuff is when you're going to know if you're going to be able to survive. And so you see these people that are, you know, bragging on the internet, oh, I do, you know, $2 million a year, but they spend, you know, $2 million a year. Like Mm -hmm. they're not, what's going to happen was when they, when their crash comes, their liabilities are going to eat them alive. You know, when that drops to a million dollars, what do you do? And if you don't know how to react fast enough, like you're, you're going to go under. And so, um, you know, on that balance side sheet, the other side, I didn't really, ever pay attention to and it's extremely important is your accounts payable and accounts receivable and the aging of those and so one of the easiest tricks to do with a company is is speed up your accounts receivable so that means that someone owes you money instead of collecting in a normal like 60 days or anything over 60 days you pretty much can count off in the first place but if you speed up your receivables and you're under 30 days and then your payable start going out on the other side which is what generally most business owners do because they want to stick their head in the sand and it goes out the other side and the payable will start going out. It looks like you have a lot more cash in the company, but realistically all you're doing is running up credit cards on the, it's like mm-hmm. on the personal side. Like it's like, okay, well I make $5,000 a month and I've got, you know, $20,000 in cash, but you don't see the hundred thousand dollars in credit card debt that they're in. Right. So the same thing works on businesses. And that was where I got caught, you know, and I didn't know that. And I didn't, I didn't, no one ever taught me any of this stuff, you know, which is why I'm so passionate about like trying to get this information to people's hands, you know, because every, what happens a lot of times is people say, okay, well, I'm really good at whatever you want to call it, painting a house, right? I love being a painter and I'm really good at it. And I work for this guy and I make, you know, 15 or $18 an hour and he makes so much money. He's the business owner. I'm going to have my own painting company, right? They spend zero amount of time actually learning how to build a business. They don't hire good accountants. They don't take good advice. Like they don't start with enough capital. They don't uh, write a business plan. I didn't even know what a business plan was. I had four of them. I was like, you know what I mean? I was at million dollar businesses. No idea what a business plan was. The accountant would tell us, you know, like, oh, you guys ought to do a salary. I'm like, yeah, right, whatever, you know? And so, and then when it, when it came, <laughs> when the hard time came, we weren't ready. And so on the flip side of this thing now, as this crash has come through, like, I I was able to line out a 10-year plan um, because I promised myself I would never, ever be in that situation again. And I took a 10-year plan and I wrote it out in the paper and I got to where I wanted to be, which was uh, when I found out about the FIRE community, which is uh, the acronym for Financially Independent Retire Early, my mind was blown. I was like, wait, what is this? Like, what is passive income? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, what's the actual strategy to do this? And so now... 
um, you know, I was able to obtain that at 39. So I tell people like, I, like my friends joke, they're like, oh, you got retired, you know, at 39. And I really did, but I, I still work, but it's mm -hmm. different now. It's like, I, I have a different, uh, mindset in that I do the right things for the businesses. I do the right things for, with my time now. Um, and I'm not sweating this because there's going to be opportunities that come out of it. I love the differentiation too between when you hit fire, it's like you, you didn't necessarily retire early. You're still working. And I think it it's from such a different place when you're working for necessity versus mm -hmm. because you enjoy it. I just think that energy is so different. And so yeah. I love hearing that. 100%. Um, you know, the money talkers company that I've uh, started up and, and working on is, is, you know, I have opportunities to go out to, I guess, trade my time for more money, like a lot more money. Yeah. But it's not something I want to do. I want to do something that I'm passionate about. And that's one of the reasons that like, if we can keep our young people from falling into the debt traps that are out there, you can make decisions from a position of strength. And that's I, I want to dive into this too. I think you're spot on because this is not something that's taught in most schools. And even if it is taught in schools, it's usually taught like, here's your checkbook, balance it. And that's so, I mean, yes, it's an important skill. I, I think it, there's some value to it, but it doesn't really speak to people when you're like, okay, well, how do I balance, you know, what, what's a credit card and like, what is mm -hmm. a savings account? So I like that you're teaching people. What are you teaching your kids about money? Okay, so I have a six and eight-year-old. I really try to instill with them. My my eight-year-old is at this point now. She's like, she's like, she doesn't want bedtime stories. She wants me to oh. tell her like, she wants me to tell her business stories. Stop it! She's like, can no. you read Warren Buffett's autobiography? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so if you go ask her, like, she's like, she's constantly coming up with business ideas and all this awesome stuff. And we, but she's like, oh. she can tell you the difference between a revenue and a profit and a net profit, you know. And it's like. So I just, but it's just small things. So I'm like, Hey, you know, um, and, and you can introduce these things and you don't have to be a master of business to get the concept, right? Um, you just have to be one step ahead of what you're teaching anyway. So that's one of the things I want parents to understand. Like you don't need to be a master of finance. You have a lot of lessons. I promise you, you've learned them because if you, you're, you're taking the money test constantly yeah. and you have taken the money tests over your life. And the way I look at things is like, you can either study for the test or you cannot. like, you're still going to take the test. It doesn't matter. You don't know when the when the test is, and it's not really set up for you to 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 pass it in the first place. And so, if you can open up these conversations, so with my daughter, like, you know, um, I bought her some books um, called the Tuttle Twins, and um, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but uh, okay, so they're like a very much like free market and like entrepreneurship and that kind of stuff. And then, um, so she's kind of her wheels are just spinning, you know, and she really likes it, and so. When we talk through things, um, you know, I, I, just a very basic example. If you say to your kids and you say, hey, listen, you know, if you sold a pencil for $10, how much money did you make? And what, you know, their answer is going to be $10, right? You say, no, no, no. Like, you, how much did the pencil cost? Your revenue is $10. Well, if the pencil cost $8, you made $2. And so now you have, you know, uh, you have a profit of $2. And then you have to take out your expenses. And that's a really small concept, right? And so, but to get that idea through someone's head, like you, what you make is based on not as two things. One, what you can sell it for, but two, what you pay for it, and that becomes what your profit is. And if you focus on profit instead of revenues, it, it really that is the basis to um, building a company 
Oh, <laughs> it's, it's reach that, it. <laughs> you know, it's that it's that simple. And then what do you do with your profit? Well, you can you can work. There's three levers you can pull, right? You can raise prices to revenues, and so you have to look at competition. You can cut cost in what your what your acquisition is of the pencils. So when I talk to her and I say, "Hey, if your pencil costs eight dollars, what is it? What do you make now?" And she'll say two dollars. You have to figure out what it costs. And I go, "Okay, how do you make the pencil cheaper?" You know, and she'll say, "Well, you could go shopping. You could try to find coupons." Um, I'm like, "Well, what if you bought more of them? Like, what if you were somebody?" And I said, "Hey, I'll buy." hundred pencils from you. She's like, yeah, you could probably get them for like five bucks. And I'm like, well, well, if you did that and you sold the pencil for $10, she was like, well, then you make $5 instead of two. And that's a lot more money. And these little light bulbs go on, you know what I mean? And I'm like, it, it doesn't take a lot, you know, it takes, but th that's a huge concept that, you know, and now she'll, she'll even, she'll even drop in and go, well, she goes, well, how much is my rent? <laughs> <laughs> you know, That's so cute. You know it's, it is. I have. I, I just. And you know, me being a, uh, me being me, it just it just lights me up inside. Like, she was like, "Can you tell me a business story?" And I'm just like, "Oh yes, oh, I won as a father." <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, just I don't want to bottle her up right now. Um, That's so cute. And you, you said she's six or she's the eight year old. She, she's the eight year old. Yeah. And, uh, and she is just as entrepreneurial and like, you know, she's been trying to make inventions her whole life. And, and I, so I ended what I ended up doing is I ended up writing a business plan writer for, um, for kids and parents, because I, I think one of the parents, things that parents need to understand the most when they're talking to their kids is like, don't shut down their ideas. Like if I can tell you one thing not to do, like don't limit their beliefs. Don't do that. Just let them have an open mind and get to their own decision-making. You can be the, you can be the guider but don't shut it down. Like if your kid, like she came to me and she wanted to do a dog, she wanted to do a dog, um, like a dog camp this summer, oh. you know? And she's like, she's like, Oh, I, I'll, I'll get a shed and I'll make a pool and I'll have this ramp. And in my head, I'm like, I am not doing that. Like you're, nobody's going to give me their dogs. Like, what are you thinking? You know? And I'm like, and I'm saying, instead of doing that and being like, well, you do how much a shed costs, you know? And so we sat down and we were kind of, I didn't say like, you know, are you crazy? Like, do you, where are you going to get money for a shed? Right. Mm. It's like, okay, well, Hey, let's sit down. I'm like, okay, so what would you need to start the business? And we start talking about the things and I'm like, this way you could, you could approach an investor if you don't have enough money. And she was like, Oh, okay. I'm like, these are startup costs. How much would you charge? And she's like, I would charge, you know, uh, a dollar a day for a dog. And I'm like, well, what are other places charged? Like you have to look at your competitors and then you have to think about what the expenses are. You know, would you have to have food and, would you hire people, you know, and, and we just kind of like talk about it, you know, and we, what I was basically doing with her is I have a business plan, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of them. I've written a lot of them now. And, and so I was just kind of going through that and letting her, her come up with her own, um, ability to think as opposed to like me just shutting down and questioning like, why in the world would you want a dog thing? Like you can't do that. Oh, this is so good, my friend. I am literally obsessed with this because I, I see so many parents and I don't think they even mean to it. I think it's almost like they're placing their own insecurities on their kids sometimes of like, we need to give them a dose of reality. But what we're actually doing is shutting down that creativity and potentially hurting them later in life. So I love the idea of the business plan. And if your kid says, I want to start the dog camp in the summer and you know and they literally think they can make it work as a parent how do you support that that dream to see if they like let them try and experiment and maybe even fail or succeed how do you how do you support that 
Okay, so I'll tell you one thing that we talked about a little earlier that like lights me up. The other thing is like just absolutely melts my heart is that my kids 100% believe that there is no such thing as failure unless you quit. Oh. They and they will. I hear. I've heard my six-year-old actually, who's five at the time. I've heard him tell other kids that, like, don't worry, you didn't fail. Like, you're just learning. Oh my god, makes me want to cry. That's so cute. Oh yeah, and I mean. So they hear these things and they do get the concepts and, you know, and it, and it spreads. And that's one thing that's really important is that, you know, you have these conversations with the kids. And so kind of what you were talking about was like, how do you, how do you encourage that? And how do you, how do you not shut it down? Well, what you're doing is you're teaching them. They're learning all the time from you. Okay. And they, they learn through emulation a lot more than they learn f- through what you tell them to learn. And so if you, if they come up with an idea and you say, oh, great, let's spend 10 minutes and explore this right and let them kind of think about all the ways or if they want to actually do the business let them do it right like let just go out and do it with them you you think in your head you're gonna have to like spend all this money or things all the it doesn't really work that way like they're totally fine with like sticks and a blanket to like make a a, a, <laughs> totally. a, a building right that's their new building but um you know they gotta they gotta go out and they gotta try i i have opened up 13 businesses right 10 of them failed absolutely miserably I told you about the four in the beginning, (laughs) you know, where it just like, I was just, it just blew my mind. But at the very end of it, um, you know, I built a company that we built and we sold to a publicly traded company. You know, we did over $200 million in sales and I could not have done that without having all the previous experience. And so if you teach your kids to shut down ideas from the beginning, you're teaching them to shut down ideas. You later in life, when you want them to have big ideas and to think for themselves, you've already instilled that, no, you can't do that. And instead of turning those words around and saying, how do I? A very little mindset shift. Instead of saying, I can't do this, I can't do this. How do I do this? And if then you can determine if you want to do it or not. But if it can, if somebody else can do it, you can do it. And that's what I tell my kids all the time. Like, if you say, I can't do this, I can't do this. You say, you know, how do I do that? You can determine whether you want to do it or not. But somebody else can do it. That means you can do it. And so having that little bit of like, okay, let's think about what I need to do to accomplish what I'm trying to say that I can't do, I guess is a kind of a roundabout way to say that. But um, if you can instill that to say, okay, well, let's think through what it would take to accomplish it. Now, are you willing to do that? Then they have a different way of deciding what they want to their goals to be. It makes a ton of sense, too. I think these are all really good conversations for kids to still express their creativity, explore entrepreneurship, and see, you know, how money can be made. I think it's really important. Are there any other skills that you're teaching kids or that you suggest parents teach them, like budgeting or saving or credit? Like, what when do you introduce these topics and how do you introduce them? So um, I would say that Yes, is the answer to the question. <laughs> but, yeah. um, you know, that yes, absolutely. They're watching. Right. And so uh, even as little, early as when they're little kids, you know, like little, little, like two, three years old, they already get the concepts of money. And so when you go into a store and you say uh, they want, you know, they go crazy every time you walk into like a Target or whatever. And um, they're like, I want this. I want this. I want this. And you're like, no, 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 no. We can't afford that. We can't afford that. We can't afford that. We can't afford that. And then two minutes later, you're walking by and you pick something up and you go, ooh. And you go, all right, you throw, it in the, you throw it in the cart and then they watch you. And then later you pull out this little credit card thing or your cash and you're buying it. And they're like, okay, well, they don't tell me the truth about money. 
Yeah, no doubt. Right? <laughs> like, apparently you had enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, you didn't have enough for my little uh, Easter egg over here, but you know, your your new your new shirt sure looks nice. So, um, <laughs> you know, and so you you're there. You're constantly having these conversations and these teachings with them. But I would say this. So, like Gen Z, you know, is underneath millennials, and they are in a much different place. Experian did a uh, survey, and I, I want to say it was like close to 82% of, of Gen Z wanted want personal finance taught to them. Like I know when I was in, when I was a school a kid in school, like I never thought about personal finance. I never I didn't even think about when I was an adult, which is what got me where I was going. But <laughs> but so they 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 know this. Like they saw what the millennial age group went through, kind of coming out in that you know huge recession and. I think that because of the amount of information that's available, like they're just much more ahead of where, you know, I was as a kid and because they've got, you know, internet and phones and they live on YouTube. And so they see these things and they see people being successful and they're wondering, how do we do that? Like I want, they know that they need to be taught this information. Unfortunately, our school system's not <laughs> keeping up with times. And so we're not teaching, we're teaching a curriculum from 60 years ago. Um, which I even thought back then it probably was a bad idea not to teach people about money, you know? Um, and so I think the earlier you can introduce these conversations, the better. I think that you do need to talk about budgeting. I think you do need to talk about credit. I think you need to talk about cost of interest. So I talked to my kids about interest and she's eight and six. I mean, they don't get it a hundred percent, but I always tell them like, look, you can either be the lender or you can be the borrower. Yeah. And I was like, and the, and the better borrower you are, the less money you have to pay the lender. And they and they get that, right? Because it's a simple concept. What I feel like a lot of people don't want to do or don't, why, why a lot of people don't talk about money with their kids is I feel that they either feel like they're unqualified or they haven't done it themselves, right? So they don't have a budget. So they don't want to talk to their kid about budgeting because they're like, well, I'm a hypocrite. But you could just literally pull up YouTube and go Google, uh, you know, budget PDF and pull one off and do it with them, you know, like, do you want to continue to, it's not going to get better for them if you don't teach it. And for you yourself, like if you haven't done it, you know, it's that old saying, like, when's the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. When's the next best time? Like today, you know? So if you haven't done some of these things that you're holding yourself, you need to hold yourself accountable to, it's only good for you. So if you don't understand how credit works, like go watch some credit YouTube videos, like put down Netflix and watch it with them and talk about it. Because what you're really doing is you're opening that door and that relationship for down the road. And when they come out uh, of school and they get into, quote, unquote, the real world and they actually find out what things cost, like, do you want them to have some sound foundations, first of all? Second of all, do you want them to be able to call you and talk to you about it? Or do you want them to be able to make the decisions on their own without anybody's input? Yeah. I mean, that, that terrifies me too. Just thinking of, I see, I, I teach uh, personal finance at Boise State. I'm an adjunct there. And I see a lot of the decisions that students make on their own and it's not pretty. So I, I think you're, you're spot on. It's not, it's a lot of adults do the same thing, right? Yeah, no doubt. Right? <laughs> or so, we call our broke best friend and we're like, what should I do? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and sadly what I think that people have this concept wrong where they say the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. You know, I mean, the main reason for me for that is that it's not that they started off with bigger, you know, you know, silver spoons in their mouth, those kind of things, because 80% of millionaires are self-made. So that means that they came from a place of not being wealthy. Uh, but when you don't have any educational system in the schools, 
you get into life and then you get your you get your financial information from your surroundings. So if you take broke information from broke people, you get broke information, right? And you have that broke mentality and it's just you can't flip that. Some people do and they make massive, you know, gains in their life and they change their family trees and they change their family trajectories and other people just continue with the norm and they say, you know, it just it gets harder and harder. And so um you know they're going to have these tests. And like I said before, you can either study for the test or you cannot study for the test, but you're going to get it. Right. I was 24 years old and my sister crashed my car. And my mom's like, you got to get your own car. My mom's like, you got to get your own car insurance. I'm like, how do I do that? I owned companies (laughs) at the time. Like like I was already starting off with the, I had the mortgage company going and I was like already like starting to make like really good money. And I'm like, I have no idea how to get car insurance, you know? And same thing with like buying a house, you know, you don't know anything about about a mortgage. I was a mortgage broker and I didn't know what a mortgage was. And I was a finance major. Like, Explain that one to me. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I'm like, how could I not even know how this world works? So the difference between paying 5% for a mortgage and the difference between paying 8% for a mortgage over your lifetime is millions of dollars. No, <laughs> you know, no. if you, if you could save that and put it into compound interest and turn it around, like, and, and I actually had someone ask me recently, like, uh, you know, what do you say to the fact that the school system says, um, that personal finance should be taught at home? because it's not very effectively, it's not very effective at school. Hmm. And I'm like, and my answer to that was, how effective is not teaching it? Yeah, no doubt. Right? Like, so I took English classes. I'm not the best speller. So I'm guessing that wasn't very effective, but I sure could have known (laughs) to like, you know, not rack up $80,000 in credit card debt. That would have been great. (laughs) <laughs> I know. Like, yeah. I, I think you're right. We do. We focus so much on these skills that, yes, I mean, it's important for developmental reasons and all of that stuff. Clearly, I'm like, I'm a teacher. I know this. But um, I don't I don't think that we can, as a society, ignore financial literacy. I think it falls on every single one of us. And if it's always somebody else's problem and somebody else's job to teach and nobody's doing it as a nation, we fail. Oh, you, I mean, I can tell you exactly when, when the, when the light bulb went off on me, I was, it was in my finance class, my freshman year of college. And, uh, I went to UCF and I was in this finance class. I was a marine biology major and I was sitting in this finance class and the guy explained compound interest. He said, if you make $2,000 a month or $2,000 every summer from 18 to 22, and you just put that away and this is a return you get, he's like, you'll have more money than if you put $25,000 away a year per year from 50 to 60. Yep. And I'm like. I remember sitting, I'm like, what? <laughs> what did he yeah. just say? Like, how does that work? And I remember just because I'm a math person. So I was like, wait a minute. Like, I, I, my mind just like went crazy. And I was like, and you know what honestly happened when you like, I got mad because I was sitting there and I was like, first of all, I was just like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I, I kept doing the problem over and over again. And I was like, this is unbelievable. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And so, but then I remember I got really, really mad because I remember sitting there thinking like, of all the kids who didn't go to college from my school, like at that point it was probably like 60 to 70% of them didn't go to college. And uh, cause I was from a little town and I was thinking about like where they're going to get their information. So even the 30 that went, did they take a finance class? Did their finance teacher teach them about compound interest? Like, and I started thinking about it, like every single kid could be a millionaire and nobody's telling them this. Nobody's even giving them the opportunity. So if you're, if you're going to blame not teaching personal finance to kids because it's not effective, like imagine the kids that get it. Yeah. Right. Imagine you didn't even give them the opportunity. 
you know, we're not even get, we're not even saying, hey, you know, like you you're not going to grasp the opportunity, so I'm not going to give you the opportunity. Well, man, tell me about the War of 1812 because I don't know anything about it. I just know there was one. Right? <laughs> I know, I know. I feel the same way though. <laughs> I memorized some fact about it and I got an A on the test probably, but I don't know. But it wasn't applicable to me, you know. Like, and I always kind of laugh because I'll say like, you know, I had a coil coaster from my pottery class. That sure turned out helpful in my life. <laughs> you like still have it today. Yeah. It will save me a fortune. I'll probably be a millionaire from it. No. Like if I had known like you could put – as a 16-year-old, if you put $10 a week away, which is minimum wage basically right now, if you could put $10 a week – and most of these kids, because I have teach some of them and uh, in, in uh, through different local places here. And so in $10 a week from 16 to 76, right, these kids are going to live to be 100. Because uh, the age range keeps going and medical keeps getting better. But 16 to 76, $10 a week in an S&P 500 fund, low index cost fund, like a, you know, um, and, 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 then they, and they watch the fees coming out of it. And they just make the average return of 9% from, uh, from the history of the S&P 500. It's like $1.8 million. It's crazy. And here we are wasting so much money. And no one's telling these kids like when I tell kids this stuff, their eyes light up like they want this information. They know it's going to affect their life. I'm like, I usually ask them, like, can you can I was like, do any of you work? And they're all like, you know, most of them actually seventh and eighth graders will raise their hands like, yeah, I have our money. Like, That's what do you do? And they're like, cut grass or, you know, I babysit for my uh, my neighbor or, you know, they find a little odds and ends job. Like they go to their parents office and, do you know, stuff envelopes and kind of stuff like that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, can you make ten dollars a week? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, OK, you can be a millionaire. I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, you never have to make ten more than ten dollars a week the rest of your life. Like, that's all you have to put away, whether what your salary is or anything else. And I was like, just don't get in debt, and continue to put ten dollars a week away, and you'll end up. And I show them the math, and they just light up. And it's like, you're gonna tell me that's not effective? Right. I think it's game changing, and I I respect your story because that was similar to mine too, where I learned about compound interest when I was. This is really nerdy. Like 16, I read David Box, The Automatic Millionaire. And I remember seeing that. And same type of thing. I'm like, that's not possible. Like, yeah. that's got to be BS. Like, so you're like <laughs> running the calculations. And it's legit. It's, it's yeah. exponential growth. I, th- I think it's incredible to see it. And I love that you're teaching kids that. I think that's so cool. Yeah. And what I, I mean, what's really important for that, though, is I wanted this stuff to open up for parents as well. And I, and I, and I know there's a need for it because I've never met anybody where I was like, hey, uh, you know, they're like, what are you doing? Money talkers. And I talk about it and they're like, oh yeah, well, I'm really glad I didn't learn about money in school. Like nobody's ever said that to me. They're always no. like, oh, oh man, like, holy cow. Like, so we all know this, right? We all know this need is like, is just, it's massive and we're not doing a lot about it. And so there's people like yourself that are getting out there and just using platforms now to try and spread this, you know, knowledge. And I think it's really cool that you're doing it in college. Cause I saw a thing where Wharton business school kids, I mean, you're talking what top five business school in the world yeah. had to open up a personal finance club because they didn't know anything about personal finance. Wow. Right. These are these are these are master students at Wharton Business School had to open up a personal finance club on their own because they didn't know anything about credit, about, you know, savings, about all this stuff. They got advanced business analytical, but they can't you know, they can't they, they couldn't tell you how to get a mortgage. That's so sad. Yeah, it is. Oh. I, I really I, I respect everything that you're saying, too. I think I truly believe it is our social obligation to help people yes. with money. 
I really do believe that. I think it's the more people are winning, the better our innovations are, the more people can just have a better quality of life and not suffer. And I think it's truly our responsibility, everybody's responsibility to educate youth on personal finance. I I couldn't agree with you more. And it's just, it's, it's, it's so refreshing to hear you say that because I feel the same way. I feel socially responsible to try and get this information out. Like it's, it would be, it's something I've wanted to do since I was 19 years old, you know, and like I knew it was wrong then. And I just it is at this point now I have afforded myself into a lifestyle that I can make this change and I can go out and try to impact in the world. And so that's what I'm focusing on right now. And it's it's meeting people like yourself. The Internet has kind of taken these uh, barriers of distance away, you know. And so by, you know, being able to hop on a call like this and be able to hop on a podcast and put this information out there, people say, well, man, you know, kids don't want this information. I beg to differ with you. Yep. Agreed. Right. I, I, if you're teaching it at college, you know how bad it's needed, right? It is. Like, it's, it's, it's mind blowing what they don't know. And then, and I don't even blame them because I didn't know. I wasn't like, I'm like the shake your finger at you. Like you guys should know better. <laughs> like watch my story, you know? So, yeah, and, no then, doubt. and that's yeah. like going to have people say, well, you know, I can't do this because, you know, I'm broke. I'm like, try being 700 grand in the hole. Yeah. Tell me about broke. I would have loved to have been broke. It would have been amazing. It would have been so much more fun. Right. Yeah. And so I would, I wouldn't have had to have these conversations with the IRS and with lenders and credit cards and all this stuff and take my lumps. But on the flip side of that, it scared me so bad that I dove so hard into personal finance that it was like, I just, I, I was, I swore to myself it never happened again. So like I just dove in and as I kept going down the rabbit hole, I'm like, this stuff's actually pretty simple to do. Like this isn't, I didn't need to be an advanced level math student to figure out that like, I really should sit down and see where my money's going. Right. <laughs> like, but not I wanted to put my head in the sand, you know, and it's like, okay, well, are you going to do something about it or are you not? So you can't just have the knowledge. You have to have the action. And that's where I think a lot of people mess up is that they say, you know, the, they say, well, if I only knew, like if I had the knowledge of these, millionaires and billionaires if i knew what they knew no dude you already know what you already know enough i promise you you just need to take action in your own life and sit down and you you know if you ever meet somebody like do you need to do a budget and you're like no you're like yeah right you're like everybody does, <laughs> everybody <laughs> does. Yeah. yeah like well how's your credit and you're like i don't know like have you pulled it lately like can you can sign up for free credit reports like you can sign up for free apps now that like they're going to market credit cards to you. But guess what? You start taking those things in the, uh, and then you start doing the uh, the preparation. And this is one thing that I, I really, really hope that gets across is people say that they get lucky, right? And they say, oh, well, I'm not lucky enough or that's, you know, that guy got a lot of money because he was just lucky. Luck is where opportunity meets preparation. We all get opportunities. Every one of us. You probably go through hundreds, if not thousands, of them in your lifetime. You know, we have something like seventy-two thousand thoughts a, a, a day, right? Some of them are really good. Okay, I promise you. Some are not. I know that, but <laughs> probably like six, most thousand. are not. Most yeah, are I want to say I want to say like six or eight thousand of them like are run. I learned this from a neuroscientist uh, that I interviewed, and then she's like, six or eight thousand of them are on food alone. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's so good. I was like, not me. I got 12, but whatever. So, um, <laughs> and so I'm like, uh, so, you know, but you have these opportunities. They're going to come up in your life. But if you cannot prepare for the opportunity when the opportunity shows up, you have to prepare for the opportunity before it gets there. So I'll give you an example. Like I was a sub 500 credit score. And recently, uh, last year, I got it to an 850. It's the only one I've ever seen in my life. I had a perfect Whoa. credit score. 
I had a perfect credit score. I was actually an 849 the month before, and I was so angry. Like, I was like, could you guys just give me the point? Like, come on. Like, what more? What, what was taking it down? You know, but I, I, I learned so much about credit, and I've pulled thousands and thousands of credit reports myself. I, never, I mean, I've never seen an 850. I've never seen an 830, you know? And I, and I actually went to go. I had an opportunity for an apartment complex that came up, and I had a lender in place. And I said, you know, um, I was like, I quit my job like I you know trying to trying to build a company and I was like but I go uh I go I have an 850 credit score and he kind of laughed and I said no no dude like I'm an 850 credit score like I, I know you won't believe me I was like he goes well then that makes you a unicorn and I was like all right Here so I am. <laughs> yeah so I was like so if I'm a unicorn I was like will you lend me the money to buy this apartment complex and lend me the money to to repair it and uh and it became it's, it was a wonderful opportunity for me and he goes, yeah, I will find you the money if you're a unicorn. I was like, okay. So we hung the phone up and I screenshotted my uh, my Experian app and I sent it to him. And the only thing I got back was the emoji with the uh, with the unicorn. <laughs> oh, that's so good. <laughs> and I was like, good. I was like, get the loan ready. You know, but had I not been so adamant about fixing my credit score for eight or ten years, right? Like that opportunity would have gone away. And so people say, well, I'm not lucky enough. Like, I'm sure, you know, you know, you've had opportunities where there's a house that you've seen that's gone into foreclosure or a business opportunity or you had an idea to do these things like your credit score is how you manage money. And so if you prepared, you become a lot easier to lend to. I wasn't qualified as far as like a traditional loan to do this property. And the property wasn't qualified for a traditional loan. But because I had prepared, when my opportunity came, I was able to get lucky. I think it's so important. I, I love this conversation. I could like literally easily go down so many different rabbit holes with you. Um, I know for time's sake, we have to start wrapping up, unfortunately. But before we officially part ways, are you down for some rapid fire questions? Let's do it. Awesome. So, Cody, my first question for you is what is your current morning routine? Oh, man, I am like the. Uh, I'm not the good one for this. I want to be like, yeah, I get up and do med- meditation and yoga and balancing of life and all that stuff, but I don't. I hang out with my kids. I have breakfast. I try to take them to school. Um, I am like the epitome of a four-hour work week at this point in my life. <laughs> I spent I spent eight years doing 70-plus hours a week, so I had all the morning routines and everything else. And I honestly, I'm like the worst person about it now because I just like the total opposite. So I'm like, I check my email. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think it's great. I have coffee. I watch CNBC. Um, you know, and so I wish I had something really cool and, and, uh, <laughs> and like new age to tell you, but it's like the opposite of that. <laughs> I think that does sound pretty cool. I think it's the ability to have whatever type of morning routine you want. So I think that's the cool piece that you've allowed yourself to have yeah and i feel like i'm i'm like at the point where i'm probably going to start doing something again because like i've just kind of taken advantage of it but i've been i've been basically like uh you know i I quit my 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 big corporate job a year and a half ago uh after i'd sold the company to him i went to work for him and then when i did i was just like i felt like i had so much freedom for the first time in my life that i uh i'd taken way too much advantage of it yep i hear that i I can see how it would go that way but I'll tell you this, it's not a bad way. No. <laughs> it's not a bad either. It's way better than having to go somewhere at 7 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> oh, my God, right? I know. It, yeah, <laughs> I don't miss that either. <laughs> I don't miss that uh, 5.30 in the morning. It's, not, it's, it's better. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I respect that for sure. Okay, next question for you. What is one purchase you recently made that has made your life better? Ooh. Um, uh, the podcast Profit Lab. 
Um, it was a uh, it was a coaching program to launch my podcast. Uh, I had wow. wanted to do a podcast. I didn't get off the ground. I didn't get off the. Uh, I, I wouldn't. I didn't take the step that I needed to take. And so I gave. I bought a program. I announced to the world that I was going to launch a podcast on January first, two thousand twenty. And I did, and I hit top 200 podcasts in the uh, in the business category in the world. Um, yeah. But had I not, I, I bought that on one thing. It was that I needed accountability. And so um, what I would suggest is that for people, uh, if you're looking for something that will impact your life, get something that's going to impact your life, not make your not make your status core. Mm-hmm. I like it. Was that Pat Flynn's? class no i did watch a lot of pat flynn stuff he taught me how to do audacity (laughs) oh god yeah that's a good skill to have (laughs) um okay next question for you where's one location you're dying to travel to uh ireland Ooh, i like it yeah i want to i'm irish and i want to go home i want to go i want to go home and see it (laughs) that'd be so cool yeah it's um i've you know, been to a lot of wonderful places. Uh, I prefer tropical locations where I usually travel. So uh, if there's one that I haven't been to, it would be uh, it would be to Ireland. Sweet. Okay, last question. In your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? Action. I can. It's easy. It's action. Um, you have to just start. Okay. So like, you can't be a chef if you were never the you know the dishwasher. You can't be a baseball player just because you say you want to be one. You need to play t-ball, little league, and baseball, and practice and go through the minors and get to a professional baseball player. If you want to be a professional financial person, you need to start practicing. You need to start taking action, and you got to start doing it now. Like, don't wait because the longer you wait, the worse it gets. You miss opportunities, and you don't start to take. You you will start to see the world differently as you have more control of your financial life. And when you start to see the world differently, you see more opportunities and then you're afforded more opportunities. And that's how it works. Oh, I love it. That's such a great answer. Cody Laughlin, you're a rock star. I appreciate your time. I appreciate hanging out. Money Talkers podcast. And you also have the Money Talkers Facebook group. Can you talk about that just for a sec to let us know what it's all about? Absolutely. So Money Talkers podcast, we, um, you know, we go over entrepreneurship, we go over personal finance. I bring in some of the uh, best coaches uh, and entrepreneurs out there, and we talk about a really range of things. But on the Facebook group, um, there will be video trainings, there'll be PDF uh, worksheets, there'll be follow-along, uh, paint-by-numbers type stuff for you to be able to sit down and open up conversations with your kids. Because again, like I said, you have to take action. So if you want them to be successful, then take an active role in helping them to be successful by opening the door and having these conversations with them. Have a money talk. I love it. Cody, thank you so much for your time. It was truly a pleasure chatting with you and learning from you. I appreciate your time. Uh, man, I'm, I was just really happy to be here. Money nerds is like, is, is, uh, is probably my, my credo. I'm a money nerd. So I'm, <laughs> I was, I had to reach out and, and see if we could, uh, we could do this. So oh, I appreciate I'm stoked. it. I'm so glad you did. It was so fun chatting with you. Thank you so much for your time. All right. What'd you think of the conversation? I thought it was so interesting just to hear how you teach kids about entrepreneurship and how you can start to talk about money in a different way. I know this is something that a lot of parents do, and maybe you don't recognize what you're doing, but I think it's a really important aspect of just good, healthy money relationships. (laughs) It just really helps you start to develop a little bit more as a kid. So I think it's really cool to see how we can do that. All right, I'd love to hear from you. What were your takeaways from this episode? Take a screenshot, tag me on Instagram. I'm at Whitney underscore Hanson underscore co. Come say hello and let me know what were you taking away from this? What really resonated with you? All right, guys, that is it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I will see you next week for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye.